interesting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hmm, Interesting. I'm your host, my name is Anthony Vasquez, and this is our Veterans Day episode. This episode was actually recorded on Veterans Day. Uh, I had the opportunity and privilege to interview a very dear friend of mine about his uh, time and experience in the Marine Corps. This episode does deal with some pretty sensitive topics, and there is some foul language, so sensitive listeners, uh, be warned. Also, there's a couple instances where you're going to hear some bleeps. Uh, Those bleeps are just uh, masking some names. Uh, The storyteller uh, in this instance chose to be anonymous, so uh, let's uh, respect that decision. If, if um, If you're listening to this and you happen to guess who he is, I just ask that you... Um, respect his privacy and, um, and don't confront him about it. Uh, but yeah, anyways, guys, um, please remember that all stories on hmm, interesting are true according to the storyteller. And I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Okay. See you soon. You know, you have a very, um, kind of basic voice. Yeah. And it sounds, it's not supposed to be, but I don't care. Yeah, people might listen to this, but actually, has a real sexy voice. <laughs> um, all right, so one, let me start by telling you, uh, Happy Veterans Day, man. Thank you. You too. You too, my brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I want to talk to you today. I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time, yeah. um, ladies and gentlemen. I have a good friend of mine here. Um, he is a former Marine. Uh, what year did you join? Uh, Two thousand six. When did you get out? Two thousand twelve. Uh, he has he had a real specific job in the military and uh, something I never thought about before and we'll get into that shortly, um, but it's something that I think is is a thought provoking um, job. So um, why don't you get started and just kind of tell me um, a little about your upbringing? How were your parents? Were they strict on you? Or um, I feel like I had the a very average upbringing. Um, see, I had uh, two parents. They stayed married. Uh, both of them were working. Um, I had a older brother, younger sister. We all went to public school. My dad, I I remember when we were very young, we were very, uh, thrifty with money. Uh, My parents were not well off. I'd say we were lower middle class. They sent me to private school for high school for a couple of reasons. But, um, yeah, other than that, I feel like it was an average upbringing. Okay. And so did you have a family history of military or what made you want to join up? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all my grandparents, well, on the ma- all the males, I should say, grandparents, great uncles, uncles, everyone except for my dad pretty much had been in the military, all branches at some point, um, all wars from World War II, Vietnam, Gulf War, and now, the, I mean, the, the recent wars as well. What made, what, what made you choose the Marine Corps? Um, I wanted to fight, uh, to be honest. Uh, They've always had the most impressive uniforms. Uh, My cousin, who was in the first Gulf War, was a Marine. I really looked up to him. Um, And he stood out compared to all the other uh, branches or all the other members of my family. And uh, yeah, they just seemed the most badass, to be honest. Um, Tell me in in military terms first, Mm -hmm. what your MOS was. Um, So after I got out of out of high school, my parents were dead set on me going to college. It was, you know, that typical, you know, I'm, I'm an 18 year old. I can make up my own mind. I got accepted to a few colleges. I can make up my own mind and, but I want to join the Marines. And so we kind of did a compromise. I still respect my parents got along with them. 
compromise, okay, I'll join the reserves. Uh, this is back in 2005. So I joined the reserves, and when you join the reserves, there's only a certain amount of MOSs you can pick from. Now you get contracted into that MOS, unlike when you go active duty, where they could put you wherever the hell they want. Tell everybody to. what an MOS is. An MOS is a military occupation specialty. So it is your job in the Marine Corps. Um, so if you're if you're going to do mortars, it's O three forty one. If you're in, infantry rifleman, O three eleven. If you're uh, artillery, it's O eight something. I don't know all the artil- artillery MOSs. If you're logistics, it's usually zero four something. Right. Um, so each each occupation in the military, whatever branch it's in, has a job specialty. Right. Um, what you're going to be profi- what they're going to train you in, and what you're going to be proficient in. So I joined the Marines, and they needed O three elevens, which is Marine Corps infantry, the backbone of the of the Marine Corps. Um, in this, at this unit in Washington, D.C. called uh, DET PRP, Detachment Personnel Retrieval and Processing. Um, okay. In layman's terms, what is that? So that is, at the time, do you want what I was sold, what I was yes. pitched? What would they tell you? Uh, so I went to go visit before I did boot camp. You know, I got long hair and I'm in civilian clothes. My staff sergeant recruiter brought me over there because it was an all-volunteer unit at the time that needed 0311s, Marine Infantrymen. Um, and they, I ch- talked to a chief warrant officer, and they had told me that the unit needed infantrymen because we go in there and secure an area and get our guys out of there. Like, like, like Black Hawk down, <laughs> quote unquote. And I was like, shit, that's badass. You know, I think I was 18, 19 at this point. Yeah. Uh, they sold um, it to you. They sold it to me. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other infantry units around the area. I could have joined uh, some LAR units. So I was like, hell yeah. Told my staff sergeant this is what I want. Eventually, I signed the contract. So you knew you were going to do this recovery uh, part of your MOS from the beginning, like correct? Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. And so you're done with boot camp. Um, after that, you go out to do your job. Like, what did you, what did you discover over time that your job actually was? Um, so when you get out, of, when we got out of boot camp, we checked into our unit, um, and then. Uh, we did it, so I, since I was an infantryman by trade, I w- went to infantry school, and then after infantry school, they're like, "You're going to mortuary school uh, with the army in Fort Lee, Virginia." It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we get orders to go to inf- uh, um, uh, mortuary school, which was I think it was a two two and a half month course that the army launched um, because army has this job specialty. Also, we tweaked the Marine Corps tweaked it because we would go outside the wire more often, Mm. uh, when things were more kinetic for us. But, uh, essentially like as far as the processing of bodies go, that's where we learned how to do all the documentation and all that stuff. So is that, was that the aha moment for you? Were you like, okay, it did actually, honestly, I mean, we, we went to the Richmond morgue and we did some, uh, autopsy, assisted with autopsies and everything with the medical examiner, went to the, uh, decomposing refrigerator, you know, where they put, you know, just for as far as uh, getting used to sights, smells, all that right. stuff. It really didn't kick in until we got our first fucking bodies in Iraq, like Marines that um, were. What year did you go to Iraq? Uh, that was 2008. Okay, tell me a little bit about that. Um, so, yeah, so I was active. So our, our, my reserve unit was, it's funny because I joined the reserve so I could try to balance going to college and doing the Marine thing at the same time. Our reserve unit was constantly over in Iraq and Afghanistan. So we were the number one deployed unit in the Marine Corps, not just in the reserves, but unit in the Marine Corps at the time. So I was just constantly activated. Um, so we went up, we got orders to activate around Thanksgiving of 2007. And we did a two to three month workup in Camp Pendleton, California. And then we got boots on the ground in Iraq 
when was that? I think January or February, uh, we got in Iraq. In 2000, early 2008. And it was popping know. off in 2008 still. Yes and no. It was definitely, the, the insurgency was really, really rocking in 2004, 5, and 6. And then 7 and 8, it started to wind down a little bit. Um, and then by 10, 11, it was pretty much at that point gone. But yeah, so I mean, we were on the downhill side of things. Uh, I had a lot of my, a lot of my guys I was over there with. They were back. They were in Afghan or Iraq in oh four, oh five, oh six, and they were telling stories about man. We have it easy now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was like, all right, which well. is incredible considering the things that you've seen. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, do you feel comfortable talking about when that light bulb moment hit you? And yeah, that's fine. Um, honestly, it's funny. Cause I'm able to talk about it just fine. I don't, I don't brag about it. Obviously I never really talk about it unless people ask me what our job specifically was, was if there was a coalition or American killed in action, KIA, our job was to get the body, whether it's from the hospital they died in, um, the shock trauma tent or go out in helicopters or convoys, secure the area and get whatever body parts are left. I'm, I'm talking about every finger, fingernail, Torso, head, arm, leg, didn't matter. We're collecting up body parts. Right. Um, and oftentimes that was the case because those bombs are crazy over there that they plant. Um, and then once we get them back into our uh, collection point, we called it, our CP, we would, you know, glove up and go through every little aspect of their uniform, their body, uh, have, you know, you had a scribe there with clean hands that would... Uh, annotate every dollar bill serialized you know put oh wow a wedding ring pictures of family letters uh munitions uh whatever if it's serialized gear like a weapon or night vision goggles or grenades you know that would obviously go to the side and go back to the military so they can account for it but so we get very very gruesome disgusting mangled american bodies that were our age and then we would uh basically get elbow deep in their guts and it was very personal for us. And it was a very honorable but shitty job. It's interesting because back a little bit of history of it, you know, it used to be called Graves Registration. And um, think of, you know, being having this job during D-Day or, right. or fucking, you know, Battle of the Bulge or Iwo Jima. Um, those, the guys that used to do it then, from my understanding, were guys that got in trouble and everything. Right. Um, and then it, it just slowly evolved in Vietnam, you know, it became more of an you know, honorable thing because we tried to get all of our guys out of Vietnam. Uh, we didn't try to bury anyone in Vietnam. Um, we wanted to send them back to the United States. Uh, and then first Gulf War, same thing, but it wasn't a lot of casualties there. And then it kind of picked up, you know, as far as an actual job specialty uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. So. so there was a point in time while you were there for that, those nine months that you probably seen a, a significant, if not all of, the casualties that oh yeah happened in that area yep um yeah so yeah we got everything from uh aircraft uh you know downed aircraft helicopters uh particularly were shot down pretty often in afghanistan uh ieds was definitely the most common just blowing the fuck out of a vehicle uh and usually when that happened if it was big enough to blow up the vehicle that means most of the generally speaking everyone was killed inside um especially the Humvees, they were not good at withstanding uh, explosives underneath. Um, gunshot wounds, uh, snipers, I would say, were the second bigot. As IEDs were the most common, snipers, then just generic gunshot wounds from firefights, and then uh, 
and yeah, the periodic helicopter that was shot down. They were the worst. They were always the worst. I feel, I feel like it was the worst combination of trauma, burns, and um, like the smell of all the fuel. And like, it was just, they, they turned, it was just weird what the bodies would do. Uh, it was like the worst of each case of type of death that we'd see. Yeah. Decomposition some, at certain points because they weren't always retrieved immediately. Like it was, it was they were pretty bit horrific. You just kind of get in the zone, like you just have a fucking job to do and you do it. And you don't really think about it till afterwards when you're smoking cigarettes with your guys being like, holy fuck. Like, now, that was fucked up. What is the, the main thought that kind of went through your head? I mean, was it like a, like, man, that could have been me or, no, or something like that? Or? No. Um, there's a lot of hate that builds up. Like, again, we, you know, we're infantrymen. You, we're Marines. And, I mean, you're seeing this constant death of your brethren, uh, guys that think like you, wearing the same uniform as you. And like, where the fuck are the bad? I hope we're fucking them up. You know, you just want to get out there and fuck shit up. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that just wasn't our job. Uh, and you just wanted. So I mean, it's just like this buildup of hate, I guess you could say. Um, but I mean, you're still joking around with your guys. Life seemed normal at the time. Like it's all relative, you know. Yeah. So you didn't realize uh, it was messing with you at all. Oh, not at all. Like, yeah, it's weird. Um, it's not normal to you know. It's. I don't get why. I mean, you think, you know, living in a state of nature for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, human beings would be accustomed to seeing dead people, even, you know, but right. we're, it's, I don't know if it's just gotten to a point where since we're not seeing it every single day, but uh, yeah, it's just not normal to see that on a routine basis. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like coming home? I came home from, Af from Iraq and Afghanistan, particularly more Iraq, thinking I was the same old. I found out real quick I was not. Can you expound on that a little bit? What do you mean? Uh, you know, I've always been a drinker, so uh, I got drunk, you know, oh yeah, going home, you know, it's gonna, you know, you see the movies where, and I, it fucking pisses me off now. You see all these awesome homecoming stories of like this dad coming into a baseball game to meet it, <laughs> you know, where it's all just tears and happiness. I'm like, yeah. that ain't my story. <laughs> I burned a lot of bridges. I was a fucking asshole. Um, I just, I wasn't myself and I thought I was. Uh, drinking became a huge problem with that. Uh, uh, you just hit a certain point and you just have these demons in your head. Um, and luckily, knock on wood, I didn't do anything. I get caught doing anything illegal or dumb. Um, but again, I was very hurtful to my, to the closest people to me. Yeah. Um, Is that, and that, was that like immediately or did that progress over a certain amount of time or uh for iraq it was immediately because then when i came home from afghanistan i was like okay i gotta be careful this time yeah but it was a slow progression of like man i'm fucked up yeah uh, iraq was immediately like my friend picked me up from the airport i wanted to surprise my parents i didn't tell them i was coming home and immediately just went to the bar and started drinking with her um you know again i haven't drinking that anything in the nine months i was gone and uh I just get blackout drunk almost immediately. And then from there, it's just stories of what I do. I almost kicked down the door at my parents' house trying to surprise them. I started crying and insulting her, cussing at her, uh, my friend that picked me up. Uh, my parents never kind of looked at me the same way ever since that night uh, because I don't know what I was saying as far as what we did and what we went through. Um, I was a hot mess, man. Um, yeah. And like it just kept on that rush of getting drunk was fun. And then it got to a point where 
I don't remember, but it was no longer fun according to everyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was a slippery, slippery slope. Uh, but And <clears throat> would you say it was a matter of years before you kind of started to get a, a lock on it? <laughs> Dude, I'm still managing it. To be honest, I'm still managing it. Yeah. Um, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize how messed up I was until getting married. And there's some, been some marital issues there. Um, but again, it's always to you, to coworkers, to people that I'm not living with on a constant basis. It's like, Hey, it's, uh, you know, same old guy. Yeah. And, um, I'm very high functioning. I could say like, I'm pretty messed up, but I'm pretty high functioning. If you want to put a spectrum on it, just like autism, like there's a spectrum and there's very high functioning autistic people. So what are you calling this? Are you calling it PTSD? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. One hundred percent. I didn't. So I went, I started getting really serious about three or four years ago with a therapist, um, and, you know, I've gone to the VA and, you know, they, they help and they do care. I think so, but it's not, I went outside the VA for this therapist and it just was so, I was so lucky to find her because, uh, we really started digging into my brain and how I tick. Um, and I think a lot of the VA people are kind of, they're, they're kind of, they're used to the same old tune every time. So I went to someone that's totally doesn't ever deals with veterans, just knows how the brain works. Right. Um, and she asked me like, what do you think PTSD is? I was like, what do I know? Like, I don't know. I'm just told that, you know, I'm fighting with my wife a lot and, you know, and kind of depressed sometimes. And, but then there's really no explanation for it. And, you know, life is supposed to be good. Like I do have a lot going for me. Um, but, uh, slowly but surely we start, we start to figure out like a lot of the PTSD stuff is actually irregulation of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, which is exactly, and she just over courses of set in sessions and sessions, sessions where breaking down how I tick and how my nervous system is kind of screwed up. Um, we're talking about, we've talked plenty of times about how, you know, when you normally experience trauma, whether it's like a pretty bad cardiac arrest or a bad traffic accident or a loved one passes away, it takes weeks for you to reset. Like you the brain's amazing and, and you're able to, um, and it's going to heal itself. It just takes time. And then you're ready for, you can be ready for the next trauma. But my shit was just constant, constant, constant sleep deprivation, bodies, 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 you know, it just kept on going and going. So I had no time to heal. And then just after Iraq for nine months and Afghanistan for nine months, like, and especially during my formidable years, um, they say, you know, the males, they, they really develop their brains for, adulthood and like how their brain's going to be from what 18 to 25 uh, so these were my most impressionable years of my adult brain right. and here i am in this just fucked up you know heartbreaking jungle you know of death and barbarity you know so uh it's so getting to how it affects you is super important but then you know now it's just a matter of just managing it you know yeah, and that's still an MOS out there, right? People, I mean... Yeah, for the Army, I think they disbanded our unit uh, a couple of years ago just because things winded down, uh, yeah. ended up winding down in Iraq and Afghanistan, but... It's awesome that you've made such uh, such strides in, like, figuring out your mental health, man. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of people, and you probably speak to this, mm -hmm. I mean, you probably have friends that went down rabbit holes, and, you know, a lot of times guys can't get out of that rut, yeah. I guess, right? And, As a matter of fact, it's funny, because uh, I was just talking to my therapist the other day, um... And uh, that's where we came up with the, I was like, man, all my friends, like all of my friends I was over there with are single or, or divorced, have no kids or aren't part of their kids' lives. 
alcohol, drugs, uh, legal issues, you name it. Like they are just falling apart. And um, so much so that noticed it, my wife, and uh, like, you know, I try to, I try to catch them. I try to help out, but she's like, when you try doing that, you fall into a hole too. Like you can talk to them, but you got to watch out because you got a family you got to look at. And I, I noticed it because every time I talk and get real serious with them and talking to them about stuff, I start crawling into reclusing myself for a week or two. I'm super irritable. I'm depressed. And it, it's like clock. It's every time I talk to them about stuff. Yeah. And she's like, they got to go talk to someone else. Like, it cannot be you. So there's triggers. Yep, there's definitely triggers. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, that's where I came up with, with my therapist the other day, just talking about, like, it's like why, why am I able to manage having a full-time job, not, you know, worried about getting fired? Why am I able to maintain relationships now before it was hard as far as, you know, friendships and everything? Um, not getting any legal issues, not having any crazy addiction problems. I still like my drink, but you know, I put a, put, pump the brakes on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and then all, all my other peers, like went off the deep end. Yeah. yeah. And we just were talking, she said it's a combination of a lot of things, uh, emotional maturity and my background growing up. Like I didn't have a lot of trauma growing up. So I had a full, before I was deployed, 21 years of normal maturity, healthy brain development. And she, not to pick on my guys, but a lot of them, you know, come from, everyone comes from different backgrounds and they didn't have the 20, 21, 22 years of mental development. Like there stable, was, stable household. Right, right. And, yeah. It could have been right. their parents getting divorced at 10 years old. It could have been a significant death in the family or it could be a lot of things. But so between my background and then just really being aggressive about getting myself, uh, fixed up, uh, you know, that, that helps out a lot. So, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. I'll just do my thing now. So, if you can harness that, you know, negativity and make something positive out of it, then yeah, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you um, talking about this stuff, man. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for chit chatting. So. Yeah, I'll edit that up real good. All right, everybody, welcome back. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Once again, thank you to the interviewee. I know it's not always easy being that vulnerable and sharing your feelings, so thank you very much for being so transparent. Also, if there's any listeners out there who recognize some of the symptoms that the interviewees shared, uh, I really hope that this episode serves as an encouragement for you to get help. Help is out there, and I know it's not always easy to ask. Um, But anyways, guys, I really appreciate the support. If you or anybody else you know has a story and you think it's worthy of interesting, please shoot us an email that is hmmint1511 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you guys and um, until next time. Interesting.